Will you please pray with me? Oh, come and meet us, King Jesus. Here we are in this place. Jesus, come. Come in spirit into each one of our hearts. Oh, Father, come. Come in your presence through the reading of your word. Jesus, come. Come through the preaching of your word. Jesus, come and be with us and speak through a broken vessel who desperately needs you to speak. Jesus, come. Come in such a way that you are so clearly here with us is that when we leave here, we treasure you, Jesus, above all else. Jesus, come in a way that you focus our eyes and our minds and our lives upon you and your glory. And Jesus, come. Come in a way that when we leave here, we're, we're the aroma of Christ to the world around us. And Jesus, come. Come and wrap your loving arms around us. Come. Come and make us more like you. Come. Thank you for loving us enough, for being with us. Come, Lord Jesus. And it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4, as we continue our study together of this amazing letter that Paul has written to the church at Corinth, a series that we've called Power in Weakness. God's power seen in weakness. Today we'll be looking at verses 7 through 18. Well, apparently Father's Day was founded in 1910 by a woman named Sonora Smart Dodd. And it was first celebrated in Spokane, Washington, of all places, on June 19th of that year, 1910. Sonora had heard the year before, in 1909, uh, her pastor preach a Mother's Day sermon uh, uh, that year. And she said, we really need one for the fathers. You see, her dad, her dad was a Civil War veteran named William Jackson Smart. And he had raised himself six children. And so this young lady, Sonora, said, man, what a hero my dad is. What an amazing man. And she went to the pastor and said, will you please preach on fathers? Interesting. I wonder how he responded. And she said, my request is, will you preach a sermon on fathers, honoring fathers, on his birthday, June 5th? Well, the pastors, like most pastors apparently, even back then, couldn't get his sermon together in time. So three weeks later, he preached the sermon on Father's Day, June 19th. And I think his timing was rather perfect because since then, it's always been the third week of June to be Father's Day. Let me ask you dads. Third week in June is not a bad day to have Father's Day, huh? Anybody know what's happening today? We got the U.S. Open Golf Tournament today. We got the NBA Finals. Man, it's Father's Day. We have the remote control. We're going to watch it all day long and no one's going to complain because we have the TV today, right? Well, really, uh, good fathers, and I know this room's filled with them, would much prefer watching their own children play 
their own children perform, whether that's musically or on stage or just in life or in sports, instead of watching those that we hear are famous. You might see a LeBron James today. You might hear of a Tiger Woods. But as fathers, it's really the delight of watching our own children, those that God has blessed us with. Truthfully, we're going to forget pretty soon who wins the Open. We're going to forget about the NBA Finals. But those indelible marks are with our kids, is it not? I mean, the basketball game I remember has nothing to do with the NBA Finals, nothing to do with the NCAA Finals. The game that I remember was my daughter Allison's fifth grade basketball game. It was that game, the shot heard around the world. Well, the shot heard in that gym that made a pretty big impact. It was a nip and tuck game. It was a nip and tuck game. At halftime, the score, I think, was four to two. Very, very close. The second half, we got the ball to inbound the ball. We inbounded the ball to my niece. She dribbled for some reason to the three-point line and stopped there. She pulled up at the three-point line, and everybody in the stand says she'll never make it. We don't think she can reach the rim from there. Gave it an amazing heave. The ball traveled into the air. Nothing but net. Swish. The crowd went crazy. Well, at least her mom went crazy. I mean, she jumped up. Woohoo! It was incredible. It was the only three-pointer of the game. As a matter of fact, it was the only three-pointer of the season that year. There was only one thing wrong. She shot at the wrong basket. (laughs) Unbelievable. I mean, it was beautiful, but she got three points for the other team. I think as men, and I think as fathers, and I'm not sure, but I would gather, I think as women as well, life's greatest fear would be that our whole life was shooting at the wrong goal. That the whole, the whole purpose of our life, that we realized that, that we were actually going for the wrong basket. I mean, men, seriously, the greatest fear that we could have is that at the end of our lives, to realize we ran the wrong race. At the end of our lives, we dug for the wrong treasure. At the end of our lives, that we just had the wrong goal in mind. And to realize it's just, this was futile. We've missed it. The Apostle Paul uh, had an amazing turnaround in his life. Uh, his life was heading in one direction, had one goal, had one purpose. And all of a sudden, he came face to face with Jesus. I mean, he was on the road to Damascus, Scripture tells us. And as a matter of fact, he was going there to persecute those like us who love Jesus. And he was on, there, on his way there to, to really make sure that the church was being persecuted. And, and instead, Jesus meets him face to face. And it's amazing what happens when you come face to face with Jesus. An amazing encounter that takes place. And he saw in Jesus the reality of the glory of God. He, he saw the blinding, amazing, beautiful light. The glory of God seen in the face of Jesus. And everything changed. I mean, I mean, his whole life's direction, just 180 degree turn. And not only that, his name changed, his, his identity changed, his purpose changed, his goal changed, his passion changed, his treasure changed. He would now say, for me to live, for, for my reason, for my being, the reason I'm here, for me to live is, is Jesus. 
uh, for me to live is, is to know and love him. And, and the whole world's rubbish. I mean, it's just a pile of rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Paul came face to face with Jesus and his whole perspective changed. Have you? There's four things we're going to look, like, look at when we come face to face with Jesus that should change our perspective. We'll see in the passage today. So those of you who are turning to your bulletin, I'm going to mention something about that in a minute. Don't get confused. But the four things we're going to talk about um, when we come face to face with God and see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The perspective on what to treasure should change. The perspective of our life of what we should treasure. A new perspective on worldly troubles. A new perspective on how we should handle troubles. A new perspective, a perspective on death. And not only that, when you come into contact with Jesus, a perspective on life's focus. What goal you should be shooting at. Now, I noticed during the early service, as soon as I talked about the four things we're going to look at, you dutifully, responsibly did a great job. Went, they went to the bulletin and said, wait a minute, it's not here. So there's been a little change in the game plan. And for those of you anal people that need to fill in blanks, let me tell you, it says the power of fragile clay jars. It's our bodies. I'm going to give you the answers right now so you can listen to the rest of the sermon, all right? <laughs> it contains God's treasure. It reveals God's power. And it magnifies God's glory. But we're going to look at these four perspectives. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4. This is God's holy word. It'll never lead us astray. Uh, it contains no errors in the original, and, and we can fully trust it. Uh, God has preserved it for us. We're going to pick up right where we left off last time in 2 Corinthians in verse 7. And we'll be reading through the rest of the chapter, God's word together. I'll read it out loud. Please read silently with me. 7 through 18. But for us to really understand, I think I need to go back to verse 6 and remind us of what Paul was saying. Hear God's word. For God who said, let there be light in darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And now he'll unpack what that means for us. For now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Again, this great treasure is seeing and knowing the glory of God in the face of Jesus. It's basically the gospel. The great treasure is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, this makes it clear, this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Again, these, Jake, uh, these jar, uh, jars of clay bodies we have makes it clear that God's power, the power of the gospel is the power inside. He says, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through sufferings, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. 
But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. Psalm 116.10 We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there'll be great thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Let us pray. Father, what an incredible passage you have for us. There's so much perspective that we need to be gained gained here about you and the treasure of the gospel. To understand our troubles. To understand death. And to tell us what our life's focus should be. Oh God, for your glory, would you please fix our eyes right now on Jesus. May we understand what he has done for us and through us so that he would become our life's focus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first thing is this that Paul tells us is the proper perspective of what we are to treasure in verse 7. He says this treasure is knowing the glory of God seen in the face of Jesus Christ. That the greatest treasure in the world is not something we can acquire from the world. It's not our bodies. It's not our minds. It's not anything the world has to offer. That the greatest treasure of this world is knowing and loving Jesus. The greatest treasure in the world is being known and loved by Jesus. And that is what we are to treasure more than anything else. More than anything else we could ever earn or do or be. The greatest treasure is Jesus. He says this, he says that the treasure is not our bodies. It's interesting what he calls our bodies. He calls them jars of clay, earthen vessels. He, he basically uses something very common in their culture. A, a very an, an unordained pot. A clay jar that was very, very fragile. That usually they transported about everything in that culture in those jars of clay. And he's basically saying this about your bodies. He's basically saying this about your shells. It's it's a jar of clay. It's not the ultimate treasure. Your body is not the ultimate treasure. What's the treasure is what is inside our earthly bodies. Katie and I just celebrated 25 years of marriage. We had an amazing time over at, the week, uh, over at the beach. And it's over there where you find out that a lot of people apparently are borrowing their younger siblings' bathing suits to wear on the beach. You want to say, what were you thinking? Where's the rest of the outfit? You really didn't bring enough with you. But really what you see at a place like that is a mindful, a painful reminder of what our society treasures a body 
The treasure is a body, a body of clay, a body that's dying, a body that will pass away. Treasuring the perishable. And Paul says, don't treasure the jar of clay. Treasure the gospel inside of you. It's amazing that God gives us the weakness of our bodies to allow the power of God to shine through it. I want you to see that for a minute. How glorious is God? He basically says this. He says, I want the power of the gospel to be seen in the whole world. I want the beauty of who I am to be seen in and through your life. And so what I'm going to give you is a fragile shell. What I'm going to give you is something that's very apt to be broken, very apt to be cracked. What I'm going to give you is something that that basically as you get dings in life, cracks in life, as you see the weakness of the physical shell, the beauty of God shines through. The power of God shines through. I mean, it's a marvelous thing that God has done. God did not create an outside shell, a body that was so strong that the treasure inside would be revealed and concealed. I think it's beautiful and marvelous. In God's plan, saying that your fragile, weak body that keeps breaking down, that seems to need a lot of attention, is the beauty of God and the gospel that let all through all your brokenness, all of your cracks, the beauty of Christ to be seen and the glory of God to go out from us. When Jesus was preaching that famous sermon on the Sermon of the Mount, he said some amazing words that we got to hear when it comes to our treasure. In Matthew 6.21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying this. I mean, where your heart's desire is, where your treasure is, uh, that's where your heart is going to be. That's going to be your life's focus. That's going to be your passion. So it begs the question, what's your treasure? What, what do you really treasure? What's most important to you? I mean, what is that in which you cherish? Is it your physical body? Is it your your beauty? Do you treasure wealth? Do you treasure your retirement? Do you treasure the praise of men? Do you treasure the security of position? What do you treasure? Well, if you're not sure, look at your checkbook. It'll tell you. If you're not sure, look at your, your, your iPad, your calendar. It'll tell you. What do you treasure? The gospel of Jesus Christ and Paul is exhorting us that we need to treasure Jesus above all else. That he needs to be our treasure. Let me ask you this. Do you spend more time working on the jar of clay? Or do you spend more time rejoicing over the treasure of the gospel inside of you? I mean, God wants us to take care of this tent. He tells us it's that's the temple of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to keep it in good shape. But he never, ever wants it to be our focus. Ever wants it to be our treasure. The treasure should be on the inside. How about with you? What is your treasure? Where do you spend your time? Well, the gospel gives us this perspective of what is to treasure. It also gives us a perspective of our troubles. We see in verses 8 and 9 and 17. 8 and 9, there's, there's four paradoxes. 
It basically starts off by saying that life has, has squeezed us. The little the Greek there, it's like it's surrounded us. It's squeezed us. Is there anybody here whose life right now feels like it's just being squeezed? It says that, that, that life sometimes will, will, will perplex us. The troubles of life will perplex us. Is there anyone here right now trying to figure out which way is up, maybe financially or where to go? It says, it's amazing. Paul says that, that this life will, will hunt us down. I mean, there'll be such troubles that will be hunted down, will be persecuted. Persecuted for even knowing and loving Jesus. But there's this constant reminder, and it's so beautiful, that in Christ Jesus, listen, lean in, in Christ Jesus, our troubles will not define us. Do you know that? And in Christ Jesus, our troubles will not defeat us. Jesus has won an amazing victory, not just for himself, but for his his people, for the church. Jesus has victory over death. Jesus has victory over sin. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to be troubled. All of you are. If you love Jesus, you're not exempt for trouble. If you've been around this world a little bit, you know that that's true. I look into your faces right now. I know you are. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have troubles. Matter of fact, following me, you're going to have worse trouble. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But you know what he tells us? Good news. I've overcome the world. Good news. In me, you have victory. Good news. I've overcome the world. So your troubles will not ultimately define you. Your troubles will not ultimately defeat you. I will define you and I will give you victory. Life reigns with him. Our troubles, it actually says in verse 17. Let's look again at verse 17. It's crazy. It says, that for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. And I don't know about you, but sometimes verses like this kind of anger me. I mean, seriously, God's going to look at our troubles and say, ah, they're kind of pity. They're kind of puny. Not very big. Not very weighty. And sometimes when I back up, so whoa, God, are you kidding me? You're telling me that battling with cancer is not big and troublesome? You're telling me raising families and financial issues. You're telling me these troubles are, are, are small and they won't last very long. And again, it, the gospel gives us perspective. But he says our troubles are actually doing more. They're actually producing for us a glory that far outweighs them all. That through this world and all the troubles of the world, we long for Jesus. We long for what he's going to give us. Orangewood, keep God bigger than your troubles. Keep God bigger than your troubles. Don't let your troubles define who God is. Listen, don't let your troubles define who God is. Let God define what your troubles are. Does it make sense? Because I've gotten in life sometimes and sometimes the troubles are so big and they're so massive and they're so heavy and they're so consuming that they really, the trouble sometimes define God, right? Because I'm sitting here thinking, how could God be loving and let him come, let this into my life? We oftentimes take the troubles we're in and let it define God. Is God really loving? Is God really in control? If God was in control, wouldn't he take this away? Wouldn't he let this burden get away from me? You see, that's letting our troubles define God. Is God really not good? Is God really not good for me? I mean, I've been there. I've been there sometimes with the weight 
of the world and the weight of the troubles are so much and they're so weighty, they start to have power to shape God. At least my view of God. And God, by His grace, brings us back to the reality that He has conquered the world. He is almighty. He is in control. And He says, let who I am and the reality of the gospel shape what your troubles are. In reality, to eternity and all I've done for you, they're light. And in light of all eternity, they're small. I'm for you. I've conquered death. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Your troubles will not define you. Your troubles will not defeat you. I'm your king. I'm your lover. I'm your victory. Don't ever let your troubles define your God. Let me ask you this question. Where do you take your troubles? Where do you take them? And we all got them. So what do we do with them? You know, here's what the world does, and we know what the world does. I mean, the world takes them to a bottle. I mean, the world takes them to sex. The world takes them to some narcotic that will make them feel better. And I understand that. A pagan will act like a pagan. What do you do to your troubles? Well, your troubles when you don't have Jesus. But you know what times, oftentimes Christians do? We feel like God's put some things in our laps for us to figure out. That he puts us these trouble things and say, well, I'm going to see how they do on this one. I'm going to see if they're smart enough to figure this one out. Let's see them worm their way out of this one. Do you know how oftentimes I look at troubles as something that I'm supposed to figure out, I'm supposed to do, and I'm supposed to solve? But do you know what God wants us to do with our troubles? To bring them to a father who loves us. To bring them to the one who's given us wisdom to kneel before him and say, these are heavy to me, but they're nothing to you. These are consuming me, but they don't consume you. Bring your troubles to your Father. Bring your troubles to Jesus. All of them. All of them. Isn't it amazing what Jesus says? Cast your cares where? On me. Why? Because I love you. What does he say about your burdens? Carry them? Bring them to me. Bring them to me. Let me carry them. What are you trying to carry right now? I mean, what trouble are you trying to shoulder on your own? You're not thinking you're noble for doing it, are you? I mean, you're kidding me, right? Because Jesus says, I don't want to carry any. I want you to keep coming to me and, and cast them at my feet. I love you. And watch what I will do in and through you. A perspective on our troubles. They should never define us. Never defeat us. See Jesus. Then also in verses 10 through 16, we see the proper perspective of death. He says that we share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our body. That Jesus came and he died. And as he died, we will die as well. And it's interesting what, what the translation of the Greek here, he says, Paul says that we carry the death of Jesus in our bodies. What a morbid fig- figure that is. Carry the death of Jesus in our bodies? What is that all about? It's the gospel hope. It's what Paul is saying is, as you go through life and you go through these troubles, you go through despair, never forget what Jesus did for you on the cross. I mean, carry the reality of Jesus' death with you everywhere you go. It should be the lens you see everything through. I mean, Jesus came and he was tempted just like you. And Jesus came and he was beat down just like you. And Jesus came and, and he endured hardship and brokenness and trouble. 
But carry the death of Jesus everywhere you go. Why? Because the reality of Jesus' death is just there on that cross, he became your sin. I mean, there on that cross, an amazing transaction took place. God's wrath was poured out on him so his grace could be poured out on us. Carry the death of Jesus with you to remind you that you're robed in Christ's righteousness. Carry the death of Jesus with you everywhere you go. I mean, that last song we were singing, I mean, I was carrying the death of Jesus with me. I mean, Satan was just whispering in my ear, you can't get up there and talk. Don't you remember what you just did last week? Don't you remember how you acted? Who are you? I mean, who are you to go tell anybody anything? I'm saying, oh, I'm carrying the death of Jesus. He died for me. I'm telling you what, I'm forgiven. Yeah, I'm a mess, but I am forgiven. Every single one of my sins. I'm robed in his righteousness. I'm going to get up there and tell people about Jesus. You can't let me sit down. That's, that's what your troubles want to do to you. That's what sin wants to do to you. It just wants to beat you down and tell you that you're not worthy. Carry the reality everywhere you go, the death of Jesus. Carry it. Carry it with you. Remind yourself of what he has done for you. In verse 14, we're going to look at more of this next week, but we have to touch on it this week. Verse 14 says this, We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also with Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. As we carry the death of Jesus with us, that's the gospel reality. We also carry with us, listen, the hope of the resurrection with us. That's the gospel hope. Some of you are sitting next to empty seats. Some of you have loved ones who are not here. And some of you who have, have lost them uh, in Christ Jesus, let me tell you of what will happen to them and what will happen to you. Because Jesus' body was bodily resurrected, ours will be too. This jar of clay is coming back. It's coming back. It's perishable now. It's going to come back imperishable. When it comes back, when Christ comes in his glory, a uniting again of our bodies and souls, a glorified body like Jesus. Scripture is very clear about this. We will be like Jesus. We will have a resurrected body too. He is the first fruits. What's to come? So is our, is our, is our jar of clay important? Yes, not ultimate. But what God can do is one day he'll raise it up so that we will be like Jesus. What an amazing perspective of death. But now he tells us where we should focus. In verse 16, that we should never give up. Though our our outer bodies are dying, our inner bodies, our inner selves, our spirits are being renewed. My brothers and sisters, this shell is heading toward the grave. But by God's grace, what the gift he's given inside of us is being renewed day by day. It was amazing. The first service sat over here at Steve Hatcher. You can see Steve. You can see he's got some of the uh, uh, effects of going through chemo treatments and all the things that Steve has gone through. And if you've been reading any of his emails, it's just an amazing picture of this reality. The outer shell, it's, it's just decaying. And all the treatments that Steve's gone through, it feels like he's dying. But if you realize the Spirit of God inside of him, if you've been around Steve, he's such the aroma of Christ. He's being renewed. I mean, he's being made new. He's saying, I'm seeing Jesus like I've never seen him before. And I'm experiencing God's love like I've never tasted before. And God is making me brand new. 
I mean, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our hope, my brothers and sisters, of what God has given to us, this new life in Christ. He is renewing by his grace every day, and someday we are going to be just like Jesus. This outer shell is going to fade away. He will resurrect that too. But it's so beautiful. I just thanked them in the early service. I said, Steve, you are the gospel testimony to this church. And so many of you have done the same. If you've been through troubles, and if you've seen your body fade away, be reminded the gospel and renew that inside of you. The proper perspective, lastly, of life's focus in verse 18. Verse 18 is one of those verses you read and you want to laugh out loud and say, really, Lord? It sounds crazy. Look at verse 18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. How in the world can you focus your life on that which is unseen? He's basically saying we got to fix our eyes on that which is unseen. You see, by faith and God's grace in a bigger picture, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us, and this I want to give you this last image, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a backdrop for our life that allows our lives right now to make sense. Let me tell you what I mean. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it gives us a backdrop of all the things that are happening to remind us of all that Christ has done for us. Instead of focusing our lives tunnel and tunnel vision on, on what is before us and all the pain and the sorrow and the weakness, he says, focus your lives on Christ the King. Focus your lives on the reality of all that he has done for you. And so you could take your brokenness and you could hang it up on the backdrop of the gospel and say, but God makes all things new. You could take your sin and you can hang it up and says it became nailed to the cross and I've been forgiven. You could take all your hopes and your shattered dreams and, and put it on the backdrop of the gospel and know that through Jesus Christ, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are God's own creatures, children of the King. What he's saying is this, focus your life on what is unseen, the reality that Jesus is truly the author and the perfecter of your faith, that Jesus has come as King of kings and lords of lords, Lord of lords. He's come with a new kingdom and live with that perspective. Live your life with that reality, not focusing on just what you see. Remember, your home is with him. Remember, your citizenship is with him. The only way, my brothers and sisters, the only way to ensure that we won't be shooting at the wrong goal, digging the wrong treasure, running the wrong race, is if we live our lives passionately pursuing Jesus, the unseen, by God's grace through faith. This Father's Day, we worship the ultimate Father who sent His Son wrapped in a jar of clay to have his life shattered so that ours could be healed. Isn't it amazing that Jesus would come and put on that jar of clay to give us the greatest treasure ever, the glory of God seen in the face of Christ. What do you treasure? Is it Jesus? Let us pray. 
Father God, I thank you for the amazing treasure that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Father, so much greater than our earthly bodies, these jars of clay. God, what an amazingly gracious and loving Father that you are. That through your Son, that we could see that our troubles, they really are light and momentary. Compared to the eternity with you. Compared to the victory we have in you. Father, I thank you for the reality that's offered to each one in this room. That our troubles never have to define us. And our troubles don't ever have to defeat us. That we truly have victory in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that each one of us would have one true, holy, and pure passion. And that is that we would fix our lives and our hearts and our minds on the King of kings and Lord of lords. That each one of us, that Orange would be known as a place that's passionate about advancing Christ's kingdom and living our lives in light of the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.